0: It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440, brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick on the corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. Want to say hi to Doug and Mary and tell you, hurry in for GMC's Joy to the Ride event. No payments for 90 days on every new in-stock 2023 GMC and Buick. Ask for details. We're now joined by our friend Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Amazon Journal. Last I talked to you, you were uh, either under the weather or not quite up to 100%. Are you okay today, sir?
1: I'm just doing just fine. Thank All you. Right. I don't know what you felt. Happy New Year to you.
0: Happy New Year as well. You had a good Christmas and New Year?
1: All uh, things considered, yeah, kind of quiet, you know, but uh, that's what happens when you get up there in the years.
0: Yes, I know. It's
1: you slow down a little bit, whether you want um, them to or not.
0: Well, trouble drives by my place, but it doesn't stop anymore, Bruce. <laughs> So let's talk about this Edmonton Oilers team. And I don't know where to start because I, let's start here because I talked about it at the beginning of the show. Uh, no matter what we how we frame issues, what angle we take, Connor McDavid's impact on this team where he plays less than 17 minutes and scores five points. It is integral in all of the goals and, and is just at a different level. Sometimes it's easy to go past that to another story. But my God, Bruce, what a hockey player.
1: Yeah. yeah, last night was one of those nights where the things that he was doing, was, you know, he was setting guys up, which he often does, but they were finishing the plays, and uh, or you know it, you're looking at a score sheet where he's got a, a fantastic goal that he scored himself, and then four primary assists, beautiful passes, all of them, uh, all different, uh, and basically all of them just sort of left the, the goal scorer, which is the job of putting the puck in the net, but the but most of the job was already done by the time he got the puck because uh, McDavid was just on another level last night entirely. It was uh, just a phenomenal display.
0: Your your math banking background lends itself to this, but I know you were on the five-point games two in a row mm-hmm. early and mm-hmm. often, uh, and, and mm-hmm. maybe you can give us... I know you've done it online on Twitter, but maybe give us a, an historical perspective about McDavid, the Oilers overall, uh, and how unique the last two days were or the last yeah, two years well,
1: were. Two in a row is is uh, pretty unusual. I remember a few games where you had two guys in the same game do it. Uh, typically, Gretzky and Curry, but uh, uh, this in consecutive games and completely distinct. I mean, one, one thing that's happened here in these last two games is that in um, Anaheim, the three stars were all members of one Oilers line that combined for 10 points. And then the next game at home against Philly, the three stars were all members of a different Oilers line that combined for 11 points. So they're kind of one-upping one another here, and I love it. Uh, reminds me of the days of the top six of uh, Gretzky, Curry, Tekin, and Messier, Anderson, Simpson, you know, where if one line doesn't kill you, the other one will. And uh, that's where they're at right now. Anyway, uh, Fogle and McDavid now have uh, have elevated the Oilers to a new milestone of of a a weird sort, uh, which is that they now have had one hundred and fifty five plus point games in Edmonton Oilers history, and they are the first team in in National Hockey League to reach that milestone. They were already number one, but now they've achieved a new milestone. 150 times an Edmonton oiler has produced five points in the game and that's better than any other team even the ones that date back to 1917 like montreal canadians and all those cups that they got they have 133 and they're second on the list and the oilers uh are you know comfortably in front of them now despite you know starting 62 years later uh and uh so I went, I went through the lists on uh, NHL.com, and you know you once you, you have to set the parameters. Uh, of the 150 Oilers times an Euler uh, produced the five points, more than half of them, 79 of the 150, were by one guy, Wayne Gretzky, who stands alone head and shoulders in, in, above the crowd in many, many NHL records. Uh, he had 96 such games in his career, but 79 of them came just in the nine games that he, or nine years he was in Edmonton, including one year, '83 '84, where he did it 15 times. Uh, and of all the other Oilers on the list, second on the entire list is Yari Curry, who did it 14 times. But Wayne did had more of those games in one year than he, even you know top Oilers have done. And then tied for third on that list. Uh, are two guys that are, well, one that straddles back into the past when he actually did it, Paul Coffey, uh, ten times. And, of course, he's now on the current team. And Conor McDavid has now joined him at double figures, ten different times in his career that uh, he's produced five-plus points in the game. And, of course, that took him nine years We'll say the same nine years took Gretzky to get to this incredible seventy-nine figure that uh, that he uh, accomplished. So uh, Gretzky certainly stands alone. Mario Lemieux had fifty-one. Uh, and of course, he played all of his career in one place, Pittsburgh, uh, whereas Wayne moved around after uh, you know leaving Edmonton partway, halfway through his his career. Uh, but we got the best half of it, and there's no uh, there's no debating that. And even your Bruins, you know, uh, all their long story history dating back to the 20s, uh, they had 122. That's the third-place team. I'm sorry, they had 119. Pittsburgh with Lemieux, Jaeger, uh, Sid, and the boys, they had 122. So, you know, Edmonton's just sort of comfortably above anybody. So, those like you and me that have lived here for all these years, we've, what we've been seeing is not normal. And this is now a second different generation of not normal.
0: It's you know I think sometimes that that you um, know if you're a Calgary Flames fan, oh, for instance, it, it must be true. it must be galling, <laughs> you know. And I'm not trying to mock Calgary Flames fan. I'm just. I'm just saying, like, I'm an Eagles fan, and I I am so sick of the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl, and they haven't won the Super Bowl in a a bunch of years. doesn't matter. My brain is still acclimated to the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. If you're a Flames fan, this is tough.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you get, you know, a second generation of it, I mean, uh, people who hate Pittsburgh Penguins would have the same kind of uh, thing going on where, you know, they... They had they were overloaded with superstars for one entire generation. and Then they won the Crosby draft. You know they got Malkin at the same time, and all of a sudden here they are again with you know some transcendent players on their team. And Edmonton is is quite similar to Pittsburgh in that respect. In that they got uh, you know they got two two really top level players in consecutive years in the draft, and those guys are now you know at at the top of their powers and it is wonderful
0: to watch well bris mccurdy our guest cult of hockey at the Edmonton journal on the lowdown with low tide on sports 1440 wanted to ask you about the the appearance of a, a morphing needs list uh the orders, i think before the break we were looking at a goaltender uh to play with skinner and maybe a you know a stronger option than skinner uh, and a right-handed defenseman to replace cody cc uh, and then, and then a, 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 two-way winger probably for the third line, but could jump off if necessary. Ryan McLeod moving to the, to the, uh, second line, uh, with Warren Fogle and, and between Leon Dreisidel, plus Skinner's emergence, and quite frankly, Calvin Pickard has played well as well. And then mm-hmm. the, the Eckholm-Bouchard pairing, Really, by me, I'm reading Puck IQ and I think that they are the de facto number one pairing. They played tough minutes, uh, with, with the McDavid line. That would be to me the number one pairing. Is, is, in your opinion, this team, maybe their needs list is changing in real time. And would that mean that it was wise and to, to wait and not make a move earlier and allow players like Skinner and Ryan McLeod and others, uh, Bouchard to, to maybe find their game?
1: Yeah, uh, you make this case, I, I think, more than one year at the beginning of the year. Hold your, what's your expression exactly? Hold your fire, anyway. Keep, until, keep your powder dry. Keep your powder dry. That's the one, that's the one. And, and uh, until you really know what you need, because you can't go all in like four different trades over the course of the season. Once you commit to one, uh, then there's not a lot that's left to be done. Last year, they waited until the deadline to. to uh, come up with a really big deal that delivered uh, Matthias home here. And that one move, I mean, it still resonates with the team today. It turned what had been basically uh, a, a tough minute super pairing of uh, Nurse and Cece that were taken on almost all of the heavier minutes and, and they were running what amounted to two third pairings underneath them in terms of their, their deployment. And now, all of a sudden, they have a true top four, and the third pairing is distinct. You know who the third pairing is. It's not three guys, it's two guys, and it's the same two guys game after game in uh, Kulak and Harney and they're very good as the third pairing. Uh, but the Oilers have a true top four, and I think that that's one move that's really changed the face of the team. It provided a perfect partner for Bouchard uh, it opened the door for Bouchard to take over the power play as well, so he really benefited from it. On the other hand, Broberg kind of got the short end of that stick. But um, uh, they now have, I mean, think of it from Evan Bouchard's perspective. He now plays in a regular five-man unit with this guy sort of hand-picked to be the perfect partner for him. He plays with the best player in the world at the center and the two best wingers on the team, that's the unit. Not bad. And so they're killing it. Like they're putting up like 70% type, kind of numbers you just don't see. Uh, typically, you know, like 60% is fantastic in hockey. And you know, when you see numbers like 70, you sort of going, what's going on here? Uh, but uh, that's, uh, that unit's been doing uh, uh, delivering the goods. And then the other pairing of uh, – Nurse and Cece, who uh, many people are not a fan of Cece. I, I, I've got more time for uh, Cody Cece than a lot of people do because, uh, you know, I, I don't think he gets the same kind of benefit in terms of deployment. He, he sees a lot of tough competition, and he doesn't play with all of the other best uh, Oilers. He plays with good players, but uh, uh, he and Nurse have a different function. And they do play big minutes. And if you look at the four of them, I mean, you could throw a blanket over all of them for minutes. And it's, you know, they're 22, 21, 20, 19, I think was the last time I looked. And, and it was, uh, you know, the differences were tiny increments and in special teams where Bouchard plays uh, big minutes on the power play. And the other three guys all play on the penalty kill and a little bit nurse neck home play on the second power play. And they're little ahead because of that but it's really you know that's the four guys around which the defense is built so to get back to your question the list changes if you think suddenly hey ryan McLeod's a, a okay 3c but he's a great 2l uh so what maybe what we don't need anymore is a trade for a top six winger but now we've got this big hole at three C, so we've got to fix that so you know that that would be certainly a consideration they want to fine-tune exactly what they're doing with that guy before they're trying to fill another hole. And I think that's uh, that's a uh, uh, something to watch for in the weeks ahead, and it's a reason why you don't want to make a trade now. You want to wait until uh, a lot closer to the deadline.
0: Bruce McCurdy, our guest, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. You're talking about, you know, the pairings and who they play with. Uh, Puck IQ has Darnell Nurse... Right now at 207 minutes versus elites, and Matthias Ekholm 197. Ekholm played a, a less one less game, so they're about equal. Mm-hmm. But yep. if you if you look at McDavid uh, with Ekholm Hyman, they played over 315 minutes together. Uh, Ekholm right. 315, Bouchard 344, uh, Nurse 131 with McDavid CC 118. So my question to you, 40%. right? So my question to you is. Is and it was understanding the previous years. It was Nurse getting the push from the McDavid line. Is Nurse CC playing tougher minutes without McDavid, or are Ekholm? Bouchard playing tough minutes with McDavid, we don't have the Wowie numbers from Puck IQ yet. But right. if we if we use logic and reason, it seems to me that Nurse Sisi are being uh, cast in a, in a more difficult spot right now uh, that maybe the, the you know, hasn't been there. And you'll remember Nurse Sisi played kind of a, a super role, a super one, two pairing role when Woodcroft came in the first year. I think that's a nuance that maybe people aren't picking up yet, Bruce.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mean there, at the time that um that he and Manson came in and that was their solution to well we've got you know, we got uh deep pairings where we got Tyson Berry and we got uh, Evan Bouchard uh and we have uh, uh uh sort of two offensive guys that are a little little uh less strong on the defensive side of it. Let's maximize them by getting them out in offensive situations. And the way to do that is to load up Cody Ceci as, uh, you know, the true defensive, uh, right defenseman that they had available. And they were I mean, it was ridiculous. They were over 50% of their time at one point that was uh, uh, against elite uh, opponents a very, a very novel and interesting solution that uh, that uh, Woodcroft and Manson, I uh, came up with, and it worked in in that scenario. But the better solution was let's get a true top four, and let's let you know Bouchard is maturing as a defensive player all the while as well. Of course, he's a much stronger defensively now than he was say two years ago, mm-hmm. and with Ekholm out there, I mean that that is a, a uh, frighteningly good and efficient pairing,
0: Bruce. Um, I look at the schedule in January, and there, it's not a heavy schedule, and it's a little less intimidating in terms of the opposition. I think I have them going seven three and one. I can't remember exactly what my prediction very was. Conservative. Well, you th- that's what my question was. I th- are, are, do you feel like in these eleven games they could go nine and two? Oh, uh,
1: well, certainly possible. I mean, some people say they could. To run the table. I, I don't buy that, but I, I am pretty happy with, in terms of them showing up to play in games. Like last night, I viewed last night as being a trap game, and I also viewed kind of Sunday's game, you know, 22 hours after that high intensity affair in L.A. I thought, well, how are they going to play? And it was sloppy, but it wasn't like like they just came out from the very first shift. McDavid just came out and he took over the puck, and the puck went into Anaheim's end, and it stayed there for you know a minute, and, and uh, uh, they sort of um, uh, was not one of these let's feel their way into the game for ten or twenty minutes. Which I mean, that actually did happen in LA, and they were able to overcome that. But but a lot of games now, they seem to be just focused right from the beginning to you know let's take charge of this thing, let's score the first goal, and then let's get the second goal, and. That's a pretty good formula for success
0: Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey At the Edmonton Journal, thank you sir, appreciate it
1: Thank you Alan, have a great week
0: There you go, there's our friend Bruce McCurdy Probably walking now I I feel like We're getting the cooler weather, am I wrong I feel cooler I I had to turn the heat up I'm wearing my winter coat today Um, I think maybe Maybe it's just old guy thinking We can't have a winter like this Or what will happen to us but do you feel the cold? Are you feeling any colder now, or is
2: yeah? It's it's definitely a little chillier lately. I don't know. Like January, I feel like that's a colder month. I don't know the statistics on it. It might be December, but
0: I feel like January is always oh, a little no, colder. No, no, no. It's believe me. Oh my God! When I first started in Regina uh, in nineteen eighty um, six, four something like that. Um, the morning guy was Doug Alexander. And he met me and he shook my hand and he said, you're going to be my replacement when I go on holidays. I said, oh, when do you go on holidays? He said, I go January. I go for the entire month of January. I said, why do you go in January? He said, well, you'll find out. And oh my God, did I ever. Oh. I mean, if somebody says, can you house sit for me in Regina during January? They're not your friend. I love Regina. I love Reginaans. Reginaites? Reginaans. And yet I would not house sit. A home for all of January in Regina I bet our next guy would Paulser is such a generous nice guy Now you'd have to have Like very high cathedral ceilings uh, You know To let him in the house But he's a good man And he's going to talk to us about the NBA The Raptors and maybe some college basketball too That's on the way next Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440 It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 Brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick corner of 184 street and stony plain road and that song is one of the reasons i'm hard of hearing to this day oh did we play that loud on the eight track you'd go more than a feeling and then it would go click click and then you'd hear the rest of the song now one of the people who knows that i'm not lying about that is paul sir who joins us now from three on three canada uh mr sir how are you
3: Doing well, Alan. You're 100% right. The 8 track was an abomination, uh, but it was all that we had. And, uh, but I'll have to say this, even with the 8 track, the, the rift in that song, More Than a Feeling by Boston, is one of the, one of the great rock riffs of all time.
0: It totally is. And it instantly puts me in a good mood when he played that. I just started smiling. Uh, it's so good. Makes it, puts it in a good mood right away. Um, Absolutely. so I was driving down the road while I was on holidays and, I hear uh, Raptors have traded Ananobi for a Canadian. And I'm like, well, I'm Canadian, and I would not trade myself for Ananobi. I hope they got a good one, and they did. But uh, tell me about RJ Barrett, and tell me about Emmanuel quickly, and tell me why this trade you like or don't like it.
3: I really, once in a while, a trade makes perfect sense. It it, it would seem to be making perfect sense for both teams. I think this is one of those situations. Quickly is a, an excellent basketball player, and he's, he gives a dimension uh, in the backcourt that the Raptors just plain have not had. He's a more creative offensive player than Dennis Schroeder, who uh, is also a very good player and has done well for the Raptors, but Quickly gives them a, a kind of a two-headed monster at the 1-2 spot. Uh, and we saw bits of that in his opening game the other night against Cleveland, R.J. Barrett is 21 years old, uh, averaging 18.7 for the Knicks. He's a very good basketball player, and what I like about what R.J. brings is he brings a a true slasher, true wing slasher to the Raptors. And again, they really haven't had that. Siakam, who was magnificent the other night, uh, is not really a slasher. He's a more back-to-the-basket guy. Uh, Scotty Barnes can be a slasher, but he's almost a point forward now. So R.J. offers another dimension. Plus, it doesn't hurt that he's from the Toronto area. His dad uh, works with and has worked with, played for and worked with uh, Canada basketball. I mean, it's it's a great hometown story as well. I think the Raptors are, are a much better basketball team now than before the trade. But to give Ananobi his due, he's a very good player too, and he gives the Knicks... A defensive presence they don't have. So I really think it's a win win situation.
0: Is it, is it for the Raptors? Is this, um, because they're, I mean, I think they're five games behind the Knicks and they're 13 out. Um, is this a deal that not necessarily surrenders, but, but acknowledges that they weren't going to be a factor as they were going?
3: Well, I, I think partially, but, Maybe the only thing I would say about this, it's too bad this didn't happen two months ago. Right. Because now the Raptors are, you know, they they have a lot of ground to make up, to be in the hunt for even a play-in spot for the playoffs. It's going to be interesting to see how this team gels. I really believe that this team has the opportunity to be much better, to win more games against better teams. And uh, I think we got a, a bit of a taste of it the other night. And having said that, they had a 20-point lead on the Cavaliers, almost gave it up, and came through in the end and won the game. But I think what you saw were different dimensions that the Raptors haven't had before. So uh, I don't think they've given up, but they did need to make a move because where they were going was not – in it was they were not going in a good direction, Al.
0: It's – you know, the NBA is such a fascinating league to me. And, and you know, we talk about in the NHL, we talk about how difficult it is to make a trade. And in the NBA, it seems like, oh, it's Tuesday. Let's make a big trade. And there's 17 picks from the next century involved. It just, I, I feel like there's a, there's a, the excitement level if you're an NBA fan. You go to work and you're always monitoring the league because something explosive could happen. And they do it all the time. And this would be an example of a, like, we anticipated Ananobi for a long time, and when it hit, everybody was talking about it instantly. The NBA, from a PR point of view, from a point of view of exciting their fans, they're just the best.
3: Yeah, they are. They, they, they are. Their, their ability to generate chatter and generate excitement is pretty unique to them. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to, Al, they do a great job of personality uh, personality marketing. Uh, in the NBA, and and they, you know what, they have an advantage. There's five guys on the court on each team. You can see the facial expressions of all five guys, like, you know, NHL, NFL, CFL. You can't see that. Uh, Baseball, you've got many more players and many more games. NBA, they they just have, uh, some of it's by accident, but most of it's by design. They do a great job of marketing their league, their athletes, their teams, and when something like this, as you uh, stated very well, when something like this happens, people pay attention. And my gosh, the chatter just starts and goes on. And everybody's anticipating what might be next.
0: The 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 story for me this year, LeBron James sets the record. Uh, LeBron James, LeBron James. Uh, he is, for me, he's like, I... I in my own mind, I like to wait until a, a career is over to put him, you know, slot him. And we may never be able to because he was a unique player. And obviously, uh Jordan was as well. But for him to be doing, you know, he said earlier, and I can't remember when, but he said, I'm trying to give father time one loss. And <laughs> I, I just feel like, like, you know, we're we're he's such a giant, like physically. And he has been doing this for so long. Um that that uh, you know, it's like James Brown at a concert. He's gone. Oh, that's it. oh. Wait a minute, he's back. I, LeBron James is like <laughs> unbelievable.
3: Well, he is. And the James Brown concert that I always think of when you talk about that is the one where the Rolling Stones didn't want to follow him. Right, they refused to go out on stage. <laughs> um, like I don't know who's going to follow LeBron. It's certainly not Wemby. Uh, in in my opinion, I think he's going to be a really good player. He's not the next LeBron. Uh, I don't know if there is a next LeBron right now. I. I I've kind of come to a uh, a a sense of uh zen uh, I I'm into the zen zone right now on <laughs> on LeBron and that I I have come to the conclusion he is the greatest player of all time. I don't know how you deny that. Uh but if I had to pick one person to start a team with I'd still pick Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh and I think but but LeBron at 39 to play at the level and and he states it very well that uh he 's trying to get Father time a loss, just kind of like Tom Brady did, somewhat like Roger Federer. There are certain athletes with modern training, nutrition uh, the 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 technology that 's available now that you know they can extend their careers. But the thing that I think people really have to appreciate about LeBron is his level of compete, his competitiveness, and his discipline to keep doing the things he needs to do to stay relevant and not just relevant physically. But be still in the top ten players in the league. I mean, his statistics this year for a for a twenty nine year old are off the charts. Much less for a thirty nine year old. So he's he's definitely challenging uh, father time's axioms. That's for
0: sure. Paul, sir, our guest on Sports fourteen forty in the lowdown with low tide. Uh, one of the one of the things that I've noticed about the NBA um, is that that offense is is king. And often in sports, when that happens, when... It Year after year, it seems like there's more offense. Uh, I feel like at some level the league needs a Bill Russell. I don't know if he's out there, but do you see this trend where where even coaches are like, "Man, we cannot control the game, and it, it's, it's chaos," and we just try to outlast the other team offensively? Or do you see things that are happening in the league that encourage you that the coaches can rein in a little bit and maybe have some control and and win consistently uh, with things other than you know three pointers?
3: Well, I, I I think that's a great question. First of all, Al, um, but uh, you know the old act the old saying uh, defense wins championships. Right now, you'd have you'd be hard pressed in the NBA to say that may apply this year because the numbers are are really off the charts, like historical. Uh, the only time that challenged it was back in the '60s in in terms of of offensive uh, offensive output. Uh, but I think you see teams like the Minnesota Timberwolves who have Rudy Gobert in the middle, who legitimately changes shots that when playoffs come and defensive uh, defenses tighten up and teams are playing each other in multiple games, so you 're not preparing for a new team every time you 're on the uh, going on the court you 're preparing for the same opponent in a seven game series defense will make will be more of a factor when playoffs roll around, and that 's where I think somebody like gobert. Will be a difference maker, which leads to your point. we the, the the small ball uh, fascination came and went pretty quickly, actually, because now you're seeing more and more bigs being drafted into the league, more and more. And they're not traditional bigs, but they're you know they're evolved big guys. But they're big guys that can change shots and protect the rim. The NBA has kind of made some of this uh, offensive soup themselves because of the way they restrict. Uh, defensive players for uh, guarding areas as opposed to guarding men. And, and the defensive three seconds uh, rule to me is uh, an abomination of the sport anyway. But to take a guy like Gobert and make him stay outside of the key, what it does though, is it does give offensive players an advantage and an opportunity to score more points. So uh, bit of a roundabout answer to your question i think you're going to see more and more big players coming in and defenses will get better over time because they have to because you can't win 144 to 140 game in game out and expect to (laughs) to win a championship so
0: (laughs) yeah i'm with you on that um i I want your opinion i i've i've uh, i i sort of immerse myself around christmas in in uh in the nba i just have more time and and I pick up things, and I'm curious about them. I'd love your opinion uh, on Chet Holmgren and what he is and what he could be.
3: Well, I I think he's a bit of a surprise because, uh, you know, he's slight of frame, uh, as Wemby is down in San Antonio, but Chet's really skinny. And, you know, he missed his rookie year because of an injury after playing at Gonzaga for a year. And he's from Minnehaha Academy in the Twin Cities, so I I have a lot of connections in the Twin Cities. And uh, so we were aware of him, but I don't think anybody really expected him to come in and be as effective as he is for Oklahoma city. Like if I had to vote today for rookie of the year, I'd vote for him mm. uh, myself because I think he's, he's one of the factors that has been so impressive in Oklahoma city. The biggest factor is uh, Canadian, Gil- Shea Gilgus, uh Alexander, of course, because he's like, uh, he might be the best guard in the NBA. Uh, but, uh, but Chet holmgren 's you know again he's, he does a great job of protecting the rim he he can stretch it out and step outside and hit the three, but he can also put it on the floor, get to the rim he 's got creativity in his game, so I think he 's going to be a fantastic player. The one thing and this is where the uh, generational comparisons go, say what would Chet Holmgren done against Bill Laimbeer. Mm. Uh, that, I mean that that would be ugly. like he is a player for this generation. I would just put it that way and for this and for this NBA he's he's a great, great fit. he's a competitor uh, and he's done really well and his beard's a lot better than it was last year too. So I think he's checking all the boxes.
0: Can we ever call him a power forward? How much would he have to eat before we could do that? <laughs>
3: yeah, I wouldn't put power and Chet in the same sentence, but uh, there's going to have to be a major nutritional effort on the off season for that. But, but uh, he's very good.
0: How are you enjoying the college game so far this year? What's been striking to you?
3: Well, I like, I, I love the college game. I, it, it, what I love about the college game, I, it, it, and I'll be curious to see what college sports in the U.S. look like in five to 10 years with the move to the open transfer portals, the uh, athletes being able to go to school, make money off the NIL opportunities like college sports is going through some radical changes. But what I like about the college sport is they've stuck to their guns. They haven't, they haven't succumbed and some would say to the detriment of the game to the FIBA rules. They're still playing the NCAA rules with the narrow key with the 32nd clock. But, uh, when you see how much college basketball and college football mean in the United States, it's it's really a special it's really special to watch. As far as who the best teams are this year, it seems like we had last year. There's several teams that look good enough to win it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I follow University of Iowa real closely. I always have since I hail from that state, but especially this year with Edmontonian uh, Ben Cricky. In his last season, transferring from Valparaiso over there and starting for the Hawkeyes and leading them in scoring. So I love watching that. And then, of course, Caitlin Clark is such an electrifying player, and she also happens to play for the University of Iowa. And we've really never seen anybody like her in girls basketball before. So uh, I just I, yeah love the game, just absolutely love the game, and I think it's just so uniquely entertaining. Uh, look forward to whenever I can watch it.
0: Paul, sir, I will tell you, in our building, uh, shows line up and arm wrestle about who's going to call you given the day and the time. So we, lo- we love you as always, but thank you. Appreciate your time.
3: Oh, Al, it's always always my pleasure to, to be able to chat with you. And by the way, I'm impressed that you immersed yourself in the NBA over your Christmas holidays. <laughs> this,
0: this is good. Well, this is good. I, I, I have to say that I, 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 I am... I am so in on Joel Embiid. I just, I can't even, I can't contain myself. Uh, I just oh, yeah. love watching him play. He's, to me, he's like, and I, like, I, I, Dr. J will always be my favorite 76er. That will never change. But I just love the guy. I just love the his play. I love his style. I love his bullheadedness. I love the guy.
3: He, he's... He's great for the game of basketball, and I like the fact that when they interview Joel, he doesn't give the standard pad answers. You might get something strange from him, and I love that about him, too. unique character, and what a, what an, uh, again, e- evolutionary player. He's like Shaq with skills, and uh, yeah, he's really something He's something to watch. So for 76er fans like yourself, it's a great year.
0: It damn right is. All right, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care, Al. All right. That's Paul Sir, three on three. You'll, you'll, the thing about Paul Sir is that that um it, like i don't think I, don't, I do we have him on speed dial does every show have a month speed dial cuz we have to i know we have to look and see the last time he was on our station because we'd have him on every day you know
2: i know i struggle with that i try not to overuse guys but i really like i love paul I love Cam Lewis from Blue Jays Nation, yeah. when we talk baseball. Like those are two guys I, I really love. But like you said, I try not to keep them on speed dial. Change things up a bit. You well, know?
0: a little bit, right? You yeah. know, and I, you know, while well, we're doing about what you love, and hey, do you want to tell people how much you hate bag milk? Who's our, our guest
2: tomorrow? Oh, well, I love all our regular guests. Like you said, they're <laughs> kind of like your children. You love them all for different well, reasons. I feel the same way a little
0: well, bit. Well, McCurdy doesn't feel like my child, but he d- is my dear friend, and he mm. has been so kind to me in the last year. Or well,
2: so. six children and a brother, or something like that. We'll say. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Sounds like a TV show. All right, uh, some great texts coming in. We're going to pass those along next. Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440, driven by Wolf GMC Buick. Hurry in for day for their Joy to the Ride event. No payments for 90 days on every new in-stock 2023 GMC and Buick. Ask for details. Brian S. says, as a Bruins fan from way back, their arch-rival Flyers don't understand how Low Tide cheers for a Philadelphia team. I'll explain it all to you. Um, in the late sixties, Bobby Orr was, if you were my age, he was, he was basically the Connor McDavid. Everybody was excited about him and he wasn't old timey. You know, he didn't have a crew cut like Doug Harvey and, uh, my dad talked about him like with respect, but, but he was the new gen, right? And so I, I was a Bruins fan in a heartbeat and then, um, the, the, the Eagles came along, my Eagles fandom came along because the NFL didn't get broadcast in Canada until after the Grey Cup was done. And then two divisions, the NFC, uh, the, the, the Green Bay division, I guess that would be Central. Uh, so Detroit Lions, the, um, Minnesota Vikings, and, Green Bay Packers, whoever, I can't remember who else was in the, the division of Chicago. And then in the, the the NFC East, which was Dallas, Washington, uh, Giants, Eagles, and at that time, St. Louis Cardinals, I believe. And so, those were the teams that were available. And I always cheered for the underdog, and the Eagles were terrible. But they had a guy named Roman Gabriel, and they had a wide receiver named Harold Carmichael, who was, for me, the most exciting player I'd ever seen. He would, like, hurdle people. He was like a like a gigantic man who could catch the ball, uh, Hall of Famer, wonderful player. Harold Carmichael was the reason I'm an Eagles fan. And then the 76ers, um, somewhat similar. I just, there was a period of time where the, the ABA and the NBA were, were at cross purposes. And I didn't get to see Dr. J very much. I don't remember him, honestly, as a New Jersey net. But when he went to Philadelphia, then I got to see him a lot. And for me, he was just the most exciting player. And so when they won and they did, I was thrilled. And I still to this day, he had this thing where, where Dr. J would, would come in and he would, he, he would let the ball like go off each finger and it would end up going into the basket. It was gorgeous. And so I, I'm a Dr. J fan. And because he was a, a 76er, I'm a, I'm a 76ers fan and I'm a Harold Carmichael fan. And because he was an Eagle, I'm an Eagles fan and I'm a Bruins fan because of Orr. And I'm an Oilers fan because I could cheer for them as a WHA team and not be conflicted uh, with my Bruins. And then I didn't know who I would cheer for until they met in the final, which was in 88. And then I knew that I would cheer for the Oilers. But, I mean, it was, it, you know, Orr wasn't on the team. I lived in Edmonton. It was an easy choice. And the, the, the Oilers team in the 80s was was just so damn exciting. They were, they were intoxicating. They were like, you could take a trip and not leave the farm when you were watching the orders. And I've talked to several ex-Oilers who were on that team, and they were just like, it was. They owned the town, you know. They did. They owned the town, and they were, you know, they 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 settled here. They they raised their families here. Um, they always talk in glowing terms. Wayne Gretzky. Uh, not long ago I saw an interview where he was talking about he had an offer to go to Vancouver and whenever he played the orders he felt like he was cheating you know on them so it runs deep i i think from from the, the obviously the player and management point of view but also from the fan point of view that team was special and it was known to be special in real time do you have an equivalent for that do you have a team that you're just you cheer for because they're so exciting
2: Uh, <laughs> I, like, no, not really, honestly. Okay. Also, you know what? I'll, I'm going to say the Saskatchewan Rough Riders because they're exciting oh, to me. Oh, my God. Because they're exciting to me. I get excited when I watch them play. I remember. But like, I'm I was sorry. really trying to dig deep and find one that emulates yours. Actually, you know what it might be? It might be the Dutch national football team. I cheer for them. I'm not do Dutch really? at all. I do, yeah. And I'm not Dutch, but I always cheered for them. Like, when they had Van Persie and then... um they're or cute, yeah. Like they were yeah. very, very exciting. To watch. Thought, I, I I cheer games for too. the Dutch
0: too. Really? Because I yeah. am Dutch, so yeah.
2: See, I just um, like, I just thought they played a fast-paced game, like the Orange Unis, I guess. So maybe I'll say them.
0: I was so hurt when they when they tried to play defensively uh, in the World Cup in the championship, and uh, then a buddy of mine said they're playing that way so they don't lose seven nothing. So I'm like, really? Yeah, okay. But a hell of a run. Or had a brush cut when he was rookie. Lol, and then it got longer. Yeah, it did. And um, my dad always respected Orr, always respected Beliveau, um, but he was a Maple Leafs fan. And um, when I was, I remember my, it was Saturday night and my grandma and I would watch the game almost all the way through. Grandma and grandpa and my mom and dad would play cribbage, but grandma would always, she'd, she'd, when somebody else was dealing, she'd come over and she taught me the game. But I would. I watched Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday when I was a kid. I loved it. And when the Bruins were on, that was the biggest deal. I loved them. And then when they traded Mahovlich, our whole the whole dynamic of of hockey in our house changed. Mahovlich leaving Toronto was like I can't even describe it. It, it. it just was like it was such a fracture. It was such a betrayal. And then he ended up in Montreal, which was the worst possible thing hard to explain that but it culturally speaking that it happened just that way I believe Tampa Bay was also in that division with Green Bay Chicago Detroit Minnesota there you go that does make sense
2: because up until this year Tampa Bay had won Detroit's division more recently than Detroit had yeah I know isn't that nuts yeah, that's a crazy one yeah well
0: you know the the NFL is built in a in a very would you say illogical divisions yeah or how would you describe it? No,
2: them? I think they're okay. The one that doesn't really make sense is Dallas playing in the NFC East because they're obviously in the American Southwest in Texas. And then they're, you know, they're playing Philly and New York. And- it's just a tradition, though. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I get it. No, I don't, I don't think they're too, too bad. If you actually look at it on a map, it's, it's not bad. Yeah. Were you talking about geographically? Yeah, that's what okay. I was saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah.
0: I, I, I hope it, like, I hate the Dallas Cowboys. I try not to. Everyone does. Well, okay. Because I try not to, although I know that everybody who's a Cowboys fan knows that I hate them. But they have to understand, I hate them the way people hate the Yankees. Because in my lifetime, the Cowboys won, I bet they won 50 Super Bowls, even though I know they didn't. How many Super Bowls have they won? Uh, They've won six. Yeah, see? It feels like a 70. And then when the Eagles finally won, it was such a shock. I'm like, okay, we got one, you know. They'll never catch up in my lifetime. Yeah, you
2: know, four straight years of good runs. No, come on. Could happen.
0: They didn't win last year. If they'd won in the the McNabb year and then they won last year, they'd be at
2: three. Yep. You know? I don't know. Yeah. So you, you know what? Good things could be on the horizon, though, with Jalen Hurts running, running I, the, show. I like Hurts
0: a lot. And I Nick really
2: Sirianni, do. I think he's a good coach. Things yeah. could, you could get a few. You might not catch him, but they'll be right there.
0: Who do you, who do you like? What team do you like again? I the, can't remember. The Bills. Oh, God. Bills. You're another fan. Bills. Yep. What is it about the Bills mafia?
2: Well, I don't know. My story's a little bit unique. Like, I've told it before. Um, so I
0: had to, uh, wasn't listening.
2: No, well it's, I was, I would play Madden 06 with my dad right? and he would always return kickoffs for me playing as the chargers with Darren Sproles. So I thought, <laughs> man, I got to figure out a way to match this somehow. Like what team can I be that I can return kicks for touchdowns with as well? Yeah. And so I chose the bills because they had Roscoe Parrish and it just went from there. And I've been a fan ever since. I had to sit through some tough years, though. J.P. Lossman, Tyrod Taylor. I had to watch Nathan Peterman start games at quarterback. So that's why whenever you hear me talk about the Bills, I always say this is better than the alternative. Josh Allen's chaos is better than the alternative. And I'm telling you firsthand, I promise it is.
0: Well, the the the, the great quarterbacks like, you know, who was like a complete chaos machine was Brett Favre. Yes. Oh, he. But, and he won. Yes. So you can do it with that guy.
2: Yeah, Eli Manning was a little bit like that too, but he was nowhere near as good as Favre. But he had that kind of chaos gene in him, in him as well, where they would just air it out, f it, someone's down there somewhere, you know. The uh, the most chaotic quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life was Fran Tarkenton.
0: Like Fran Tarkenton, yeah. would, 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 the ball would come to him, and I think he'd be under center too. The ball would come to him; he'd go back in the pocket. Somebody would miss an assignment, and the lineman would be on him. He'd turn; he'd run six miles to the right. Then he'd run five miles to the left, and then he'd throw the ball for a touchdown. The plays took approximately eleven minutes with Fran Tarkenton,
2: but it was a, it was a fun eleven minutes.
0: Well, you know you were you were on the edge of your seat the whole time. He was a truly compelling football player, and the Vikings went to four Super Bowls, then win never won a single one. It really hurts. Like Bills, I, c- and- I could
2: never relate as a Bills fan. <laughs> yeah, oh,
0: God, what were you wide right or left? I can never
2: remember. It was wide right. Yeah, yeah, it was a brutal one.
0: That was against the Giants, right? Not that we remember.
2: No, nah, we don't remember. No. I don't, it was before my lifetime. I've only seen the highlights anyway.
0: Yeah, and you know what? It, it's not a reflection of you as a human. You're yeah, exactly. a great human. You're a winner.
2: Thank, yeah, you're damn right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I hope I can rub some of that off on Josh Allen here. Yeah. Sunday night football against the Dolphins. Let's go get a big dub.
0: I don't want to talk about the NFL anymore after the Eagles embarrassment. Thanks so much for tuning into to The Lowdown. Jason, Gre- Jason Greger on the way next. Time now for a sports update.